from coast to coast to coast. You're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome. I'm Shang Ho, and I will be your host for the next half hour of Environmental Radio. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Mandi, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. While you listen to this week's episode, consider your connection to this land and how you challenge the colonial systems of oppression as part of your treaty obligations to your elected officials show leadership on this topic. How do you hold them to account? We all have a role to play in this relationship that is treaty. This week, the Terra Informa crew sits down together for a roundtable discussion on the recent Canada-wide bridge-out blockade demonstrations organized by Extinction Rebellion. The conversation touches on the purpose and meaning of collective action and civil disobedience in the context of climate change. Before we get to that story, we dig into some recent highlights on the upcoming Canadian federal election that inspired Extinction Rebellion to take action. According to Abacus data, millennial voters will surpass baby boomers and make up the largest voting bloc in the 2019 federal elections. There is, however, still uncertainty about the power millennials will have in the outcome of the election. Researchers identified that younger voters are not showing the same motivation to go to the polls as they did four years ago. The 2015 elections saw an increase of 80.3% in voters aged 18 to 24 from the previous federal election. Now, the data doesn't seem to indicate the same enthusiasm in this age group. Despite being the largest demographic with eligible voters, researchers are less confident millennials will actually come out to vote. Younger people vote for candidates they can identify and connect with. That was the case with Justin Trudeau in 2015. Now, four years later, the enthusiasm for Trudeau has diminished. And amongst recent scandals, the liberal leader does not see the same support he once had. Well, it is not possible to calculate exactly how much the recent allegations of racism have affected his reputation. It certainly has had a negative impact on his chance to be re-elected. While housing, healthcare, and economic growth are important issues to millennials, climate change is the most pressing concern. Often seen as a left-leaning topic, the environmental global crisis also worries young conservatives. The research indicated that between 60 to 80 percent of conservative millennials believe climate change is an important topic of discussion. Though millennials are more likely to vote for progressive candidates, climate change is on the forefront of young Canadians' minds regardless of their political affiliation. This indicates that the concern for the environmental surpasses political affiliations, and it's a major point of discussion for the largest voting bloc in the 2019 election. Whether you identify as part of the millennial voting bloc or not, all voters need information to make an informed opinion as a ballot. We gave you a roundup of the four leading federal parties' climate plans earlier this summer, but that information bears repeating. 
A new article from Canadian atmospheric scientists Catherine Hayhoe and Alberta-based environmental economics Andrew Leach is getting praise for its critical assessment of the plants. Using the latter grade system, Leach and Hayhoe have scored each plant's ambition and feasibility. Elements echoed in last week's federal leaders' debate. As for the grading, the Liberal Pan candidate climate framework leads a pack with a B for ambition and an A for feasibility. The Green and NDP plants come in second, both more ambitious in their stated goals, but lighter on details. The Green Party Mission Possible and NDP New Deal for Climate Action and Good Jobs get an A plus and A for ambition and C minus and D for feasibility, respectively. The Conservatives reapplying to protect our environment receive a D for ambition and F for feasibility. Ouch. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know we think of the environment and climate change in terms of more than just carbon emissions. The grading here is focused on who will do the most to reduce carbon with a realistic plan to achieve the target set. While some parties score higher in this regard, policies around just transition, good jobs, consumption, and other issues are also important aspects of understanding climate crisis. For more takes on this election's climate coverage and some much-needed fact-checking on climate policy, we recommended the opinion series This Week in Climate Inaccuracies. From the National Observer's Chris Turner, find a link to these stories and more on our website. For many citizens, casting a ballot during election season is a head of civic action, but not all of us are waiting to make an impression at the polls. This week, Terry Fomas, Charlie Thompson, Andy Silva, Carter Gutzitzer, and Sonic Patel sit down in the CGSR studios to talk about the recent Extinction Rebellion bridge-out blockade demonstrations that took place in multiple cities across Canada. These blockade demonstrations have gotten a very different reception in the media and public discussions compared to actions like the climate march, given the sometime hours long and direct inconvenience it caused for many unwilling participants. Let's listen to the team as they discuss what this sort of civil disobedience means in terms of climate change, in terms of climate action. We just heard Terry Informers, Sonak Patel, Carter Gutzeza, Andy Silva, and Charlie Thompson talking in the CGSR studio about civil disobedience, direct action, and the Extinction Rebellion breakout blockade. October 7th, nine folks from Extinction Rebellion Edmonton decided to uh, perform a direct action where they linked arms using this like giant metal tubing um, and they formed like a row, a human blockade uh, at the 
the south end of the Walterdale Bridge. The nine people from Extinction Rebellion blocked the bridge, uh, and they blocked it during rush hour, so they blocked it at 7 in the morning. And it's kind of generated, like, massive controversy in Edmonton and kind of, like, opening up a larger discussion on, like, what direct action means for climate change and what tactics are effective and which ones uh, are not. So that's kind of, like what we are here to talk about. I'm Charlotte Thomason. I'm Sonic Patel. I'm Carter Grzitza, and I have the same voice as Sonic Patel. I am Andy Silva. I guess for context as well, included in uh, our description of the event, uh, it also was an international kind of uh, planned thing, so it was hashtag bridge out, which... um, Bridge blocking has become a pretty, um, I guess, normal or like reoccurring tactic of Extinction Rebellion in a lot of major European cities. They've been doing that for a while now, kind of in coordination with lots of other climate action stuff going on. I've been on that bridge before. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the discussion to be had well first of all i think it's important to establish that all of us are in favor of climate action and demonstrating in favor of it um but i think the more interesting discussion to have is what's the purpose of protests in civic discourse and is it a separate thing to talk about in my opinion this action is an effective form of protest which is especially notable in the media that it received but what role did it play in the larger goal of climate action and encouraging our people and our societies to move towards it. Yeah, I think one of the big arguments like against the bridge blockade in particular, like as a form of protest, was the idea that like angering people isn't going to make them decide to all of a sudden like support climate action. Um and I, de- like, I definitely see that, like, that side of the argument, and I think that that's totally fair. There were some drivers that got out of their vehicles. They were threatening to, uh, like, assault the people who were doing the blockade. Um, so it definitely, like, invoked a lot of rage from some of the drivers. Um, obviously, like, not all of them, but the notable ones that the media picked up. Um, so I think that's, like one side of it but I think the other side is like there was a small number of people that were caught in traffic um, and then there was a very large number of people that heard about it Mm -hmm. afterwards and so those people I guess like hearing about it and being more informed about climate change they wouldn't like have those same feelings of rage because they weren't actually like caught in in the traffic jam so they might be like pushed more towards some sort of like climate action or like some have uh i guess an elevated awareness about climate change and like the need for action but yeah i i don't know i guess in the case of like angering people i see it as like uh an effective tool right now yeah for bringing conversation like we've talked about i guess in the context of like the greater strategy obviously there does have to like there is going to be direct at action that angers people and disrupts the system. That's a lot of what um, you heard the blockaders saying is like, 
we don't blame anyone driving right now. We blame the system. Systematic change needs to happen, so we need to disrupt the system. So that's kind of their big thing, um, which I don't disagree with in any way, really. I guess going forward, it would be cool to like see, I guess like more more of this like imagined future that we have behind this movement. Then like, what are we what are we pushing people towards wanting? If we're gonna get them talking and stuff like that, um, yeah. I- definitely think that civil disobedience um, is a very important part of protesting. And I think that one of the side effects of that is naturally um, anger (laughs) from the people that get caught in the middle of the process. But if you're not inciting, if you want to incite change, you got to make people uncomfortable because how are you going to question the status quo? if you're not being disobedient. So I think that there is definitely uh, a need for uh, protests like that. Um, But I think that the most important part of something like that is the conversation that happens after. How many people does it include? Um, What what other stakeholders think about this this type of protest and how really Edmonton um, gets together and move move forward? Yeah, I think that that piece about um Evolving the discourse is really interesting. Um, and I think all of us have been to a number of, of climate protests and events like that. And as enjoyable as I find um, seeing people engaged with the climate crisis and, and speaking about it, I think ultimately the purpose of a protest is just um, an expression of a lack of satisfaction with something. And so should protesters kind of have a greater understanding of what solutions should be? Or is their job just to identify something that is um, of anger to them? I don't think it's the responsibility of the protester, but I do think it is the responsibility of the strategy. Mm-hmm. And that in the grand scheme, the people doing these plannings, like, I don't expect every person who's showing up to a climate strike to have an idea of what they want out of it or to have a well-oiled kind of machine ready. But I do think if we're going to be doing these like kind of smaller scale actions, especially when they're not calling, like if you're going to call like something's wrong with the system you have obviously every right to do that but like if we want the movement to grow and we want climate action to grow we need to start having more of a message but definitely not um hitting down on anyone for just being angry about something and showing that they're angry because that's really cool and i'm definitely in support of that yeah me too and (laughs) one of the things that uh comes to mind and i will um refer back to what you said about Um, What does it mean? I think that um, social change and protests like that, it's, in my opinion, a lot, maybe a lot more significant if it's embedded on a larger context, Um, because now that the protest is done, it happened. Um, I saw online that a lot of the response from the general community was fairly negative. So what what does that mean, really? Like, um, how do we how do we move forward if the response has been uh, mainly negative? Yeah, for sure. I think it's like also um, like kind of interesting to note um, people's frustration with being like late and being inconvenienced in the idea that like climate change is very inconvenient and like is and will become like very disruptive to people's lives and so like the idea of like this temporary like one hour um inconvenience to somebody's day is like yeah something that 
it just like kind of speaks to like what will be the reality or what could be the reality and that like climate change isn't convenient it isn't something you can like think about half the time and then like go on living your life the other half of the time because it's like it's still going to affect you whether you like want to acknowledge it or not yeah i think that brings into i mean of course when when you're delayed you're angry but i think what's what's interesting is where where should that anger be directed is it a group of nine protesters blocking a bridge or is it a a series of governments around the world that refuse to take effective action on a crisis is it a number of mega corporations that insist on producing incredible amounts of greenhouse gases despite the fact that we've known for decades that it's hazardous and so yeah i think you should be angry i think anyone involved in this and who is affected by it or even heard of it should be mad but maybe it's not at a group of people who feel like this is the only way that they can convey an incredible challenge that they're facing. And maybe you should be upset at a system that doesn't let them do that effectively. Yeah, for sure. And like further to what Andy said of how to move forward when like a protest may like seem unsuccessful. I mean, definitely like when uh, we are organizing and like creating these direct actions, like not all of them are going to be not all of them are going to be hits. Not all of them are going to be like super successful. So yeah, just trying to like figure out how how to like move forward and like if if that involves like a regrouping and a changing of of tactics, or if it involves like maybe like just getting a larger base of people to support it like before it happens. But yeah, I think it's like a lot of like trial and error. So I, I kind of wonder what your guys' opinions on like media coverage of climate action and climate protests are. Yeah, I think it's, like, interesting to note, thinking about the media, so the day after the, the day after the blockade, I was listening to CBC Radio in the morning, and it was, so it was, like, the two morning talk show hosts, um, and they were covering, they were covering the blockade, and they opened the piece uh, with audio of a man just like screaming and yelling at the protesters and then about a 15 second long clip of just honking (laughs) and then they like moved into like talking about what happened um and then the one uh reporter went on to talk about how he didn't agree with the like tactic and like with the protest uh which i found was really interesting because they're like a mainstream media and like people are getting their information from the source and yet those people are like constantly like bringing in their own narratives and like the way that they even the way that they displayed the piece I guess or like brought the piece forward was like framed in a very negative context of like look at these people that made a bunch of other people angry rather than like look at these people that are like trying their hardest putting them their own selves at risk to do something that they care about and that they think is important for like the good of society i have a very unsurprising reaction and it's something that i've heard a lot (laughs) um for following climate protests but i think it's worth talking about and that's like people who call out hypocrisy um in climate (laughs) action um so people call us stuff like oh they used a truck to get a canoe down to the the bridge or these people have phones that that use oil and gas products in them 
And I like I just find it so interesting why this is a point of debate for climate protests, but not something we apply. This idea that like if you're part of a system, you can't complain about it. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if if I said well, you can't complain about the state of roads in Edmonton if you drive on the roads. You're part of the system. You, you, you can't change it. That's hypocritical. So why is this something that we do with climate protests? It's really funny to try to imagine, like, the unhypocritical climate protester. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what they are. If even there is one. Yeah, just like <laughs> yeah. a naked just a naked person standing. Yeah. Like, cycle even... everywhere. They photosynthesize. Yeah. No, yeah, they're just walking. <laughs> they're just naked. walking. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's the idea of um, this, like, societal view that climate protesters are trying to be, like, righteous. I don't know. They're just like viewed as like trying to maybe be like better than other people. I've like heard that narrative a lot, especially in Alberta. Like, oh, you think you're too good for oil and gas? Uh, That kind of narrative. And so I think people are very quick to try to nitpick movements in order to break down the legitimacy of them or like the actual point of them because if you can just talk about the fact that cars were idling in the blockade i like saw that a lot as a reaction yeah i also find it very interesting the way that people get personally offended by a protest and by the larger discussion of climate change especially here in alberta and edmonton where there's a very very strong oil and gas culture that is basically like part of the society here and people identify very strongly with it to the point that when we say hey climate change is real we have to watch our oil and gas industry people we say that and people here we hate you we don't like edmonton we don't like alberta we don't like what it stands for when that's really not what climate protesters are saying we're just saying we have to think about where our energy sources come from. We have, a, we have to think about diversifying and reducing emissions. We're not saying we don't like Edmonton, that Edmonton is wrong, the way that we live our lives are wrong. It's nothing like that. But people do take it very personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of goes on like this, yeah, the idea of like collective change rather than individual too, which is a fun thing. Yeah, it's like convincing Convincing people through our movement, through protests or through movement direct action that, yeah, that you're not individually critiquing anyone. Yeah, I think it, it, it is challenging because climate action is a collective effort. And at the end of the day, we do all have a piece to play in it. These small actions don't mean a lot until a lot of us do them. And, you know, these individual actions ho- hopefully will inspire some kind of societal or economic change or policy change that will eventually address these larger emitters that are contributing more to it. So I, I don't know. My final takeaway is that I'm glad this happened. I am, you know, obviously in favor of climate action. And I think it's important that we do have these kind of um, discussions that have emerged from events like these. Ultimately, do I think that this is going to sway a lot of people to be pro-climate action? Probably not. But I think... Was that the point of this um, protest? Also, probably not. So, um, yeah, a kind of mixed reaction for me. I'm glad it's happening, but I I do think and I hope that there's, I I guess, a greater push towards having discourse about what climate action really entails and what it means rather than having these very, like, emotional responses. Yeah. Um, For me, my 
main takeaway. Well, no, never mind. Do you want to go? I have to collect my thoughts. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess it's my yeah my main main takeaway is similar. I think it's a a good tactic and a wider strategy. Um, I'm excited to see what else comes. Uh, what else comes out of it? Um, I'm excited to see how yeah how these protests grow and evolve in Edmonton because it does seem to be obviously picking up speed, happening more often. There seems to be something happening every other week for the last little while. So uh, excited to see where it goes. In pretty pretty good agreements with it, due to just yeah. This is bad. <laughs> um, I'm a you big kind of fan. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, you can go. Okay. I'll hop in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of civil disobedience. I am, personally speaking, too much of a rule follower to ever partake in a protest like that. But I'm really glad they happen. I'm ready that other people are not like me, which goes to show that diversity in protesting is very important. Um, I think that the way that they delivered their message was a little bit of a hit and miss, um, but but I'm glad it happened. It got people talking. Uh, we're here talking about it and trying to figure out a way to in- encourage people to talk about it in a positive way. So signing off now, uh, you've had Carter Grzitza. Charlotte Thomason. Sonic Patel. Andy Silva. Thanks for listening. Tried to cross the bridge today, didn't make it. Protesters disrupting my business as usual. When I found out the source of the commotion, I smiled deep within. I thought to myself, I probably know them. This, in our oil city, nine people with arms linked can have such an impact. I took to the comments. I turned on CBC, a candid topic met with mixed reception, engines revving, impatient honking. The lady beside me gets out of her vehicle and says, what if there is an emergency? And I smile back kindly. I think of a response after the moment has passed, but there is an emergency. And I'm really starting to welcome this Monday morning disruption. But what am I really seeing here? Desperation, denial, so many layers of denial, relief. Somebody is doing something, defiance, a spark. I'm provoked to walk by the cars and chat, share candy or something. Festival lineup vibes, right? But without anything to give, sit on the tailgate instead, staring at cloudy pink skies. I read Naomi Klein recently, and she had this message. I think we are at the fork in the roads where we have to decide. Are we going to hoard or are we going to share? What kind of people do we want to be in the world that we have created? After my own meandering journey through the layers of anger, grief, helplessness, I can only think, let us meet each other with kindness. We must heal together. And I pause as I wonder if the arms of our community are wide enough to hold space for the angry car drivers. You just listened to a spoken word piece by Andrea Weeb, performed by Charlotte Thomason. That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions or comments about our show, send us an email to terra at cgsr.com. Tweet us at terrainfoma, 
Find us on Facebook or visit our website, terrainforma.ca. Thank you to everyone here, Elizabeth Dowdell, for helping creating this week's episode. Terra Informa is entirely volunteer-run, and we survive because of the generous donations to our host studio, CGSRAA.5 FM. Consider a donation to your local radio station to keep stories like this on the air. I've been your host, Shang Ho. Thanks for tuning in. Catch us next week, right here. Ontario Informa. Informa.